Good to see you guys. All right. Now, I am thinking of something, and I want you to try and guess what I'm thinking of. It's something that we do with our hands every single day. It's something that might make our hands hot and sometimes might make our hands cold, depending on how we do it. It's something that makes our hands clean. Any ideas? Josh? Washing our hands, that's right. We wash our hands sometimes before a meal and we wash our hands hopefully every time when we leave the bathroom. But this morning... We're going to meet some people in today's Bible passage who say you have to wash your hands before doing all sorts of things, not just after the bathroom, not just before you eat. And I want you to think, what would it be like if you had to wash your hands lots of time throughout the day? Not just every so often. How how many times a day do you reckon you wash your hands? What do you think, Josh? Two or three? Sailor, what do you reckon? Four or five, yeah, maybe maybe as much as ten if you really want to wash your hands. It could be five or ten. Imagine if you had to wash your hands lots more than that every day. Imagine as well if you had to wash your hands not just before you eat, but before you come to church. Maybe we've got a hand washing station just out there. You have to, to wash your hands, not just with the hand sanitizer. Imagine if you had to wash your hands every time before you read the Bible. Or you had to wash your hands every time before you pray to God. Because there are people who tell you that if you don't do it, God will be very angry with you. Because he will think that you're unclean. Now, do you think that's true? No, that's not true at all. But in Jesus' time, there were people who said that that was true. You have to make sure that you're washed before you come to God. And that was something that they said was true. But what we're going to see today is Jesus says that's not true. But it does raise the question, what does God want from us? Does he want us to wash our hands all the time before coming to him? No. But he does want something from us. And so here's your big question today. I want you to listen very carefully to this one. What does God want from us? Okay. So listen to Rob as he shares Listen to the Bible passage being read and see if you can work out what does God want from us. Okay, you guys can go on back and we're going to hear our Bible reading now. Thanks, Kim. Good morning. Um, The Bible reading um, today is from Matthew chapter 15. Verses 1 to 20. So Matthew chapter 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God? For the sake of your tradition. For God commanded, honour your father and mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. 
he is need not honour his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciple came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, Kim. Good reading. Well done. It's hard. To, it's actually hard to harder than you think to stand up and read. Um, well, morning, church. So um, every church like ours, every family has a set of traditions. Traditions. Um, they may be good traditions, they may be bad ones, uh, but as humans, uh, we tend to be creatures of habit. Every single person is a traditioned individual. We have certain patterns and things that we do on holidays that over time take on uh, what is comfortable um, for us, what we're familiar with, and they just become the pattern. They become the normal habit. Uh, one of the interesting things, for example, is when you see um, two people from different traditions, which is everybody, come together in this thing called marriage. Because you start seeing the differences in, say, Christmas Day. Do we open up presents? How many? When? When do we have food? What time? Well, it has to be during the day. No, it has to be at dinner. That's the way my family, it's the right way to do it. And you see two individuals, maybe you've experienced this yourself, where you have in, set in your mind a certain way, a certain pattern of doing things, and then you get married and that person says, well, no, no, no. This is, this is actually the right way. The, whoa, the right way. Yeah. So, again, traditions, though, are just natural for humans. We all have them. Now, here's the deal. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, tradition can be helpful 
or harmful. It can be helpful or it can be harmful. That's why we have to regularly ask ourselves, is what we believe and how we live based on biblical authority or just what we received by tradition? Because when tradition becomes primary in how we approach God and, and relate to him, we have a major problem. So here's the big idea, here's the big takeaway I want us to, as we dive back into Matthew this morning. This is what I want us to think about. Placing tradition over truth is spiritually disastrous for ourselves and for others. Placing tradition, even if it's a good tradition, over truth is spiritually disastrous, not only for ourselves, but for the people that we influence and our families around us. And you might be sitting there going, well, I never do that. <laughs> we will see, because I reckon we all do as humans. Placing tradition over, or even on the level of, spiritual truth, biblical truth, is spiritually disastrous. So may the Lord bless his word, but let's go to him in prayer that he will do so. Heavenly Father, we again approach you as, as people who need your word, need your instruction, and Lord, we pray by your spirit you would lodge those truths deep into our hearts, transform us in Christ's name. Amen. So it's been a while since we've been in Matthew. It's my favorite gospel. Um, but Matthew 15, is, it's really interesting. You know, just, just in the previous chapter, Jesus, if you, as you remember, he fed the multitudes, walked on water. Um, but here in chapter 15, you see this delegation of scribes and Pharisees coming from Jerusalem. And these guys, um, this group, they're sent to investigate what exactly Jesus is doing and saying and teaching in Galilee. They're not there to learn. They're not there to, I, I used to travel, uh, when I lived in San Diego, uh, an hour to hear this African-American guy preach because he was amazing. And one time, true story, I flew into San Jose, which is Northern California, and I said, and it was at 11.30 at night on a Saturday, and I said to April, I will drive all through the night if we can get to Grace Community Church by Sunday morning to hear John MacArthur preach in person. And she said, you're crazy. And I said, just relax. And just, I just fanged it the whole way there. And sure enough, sure enough, just, yeah, everyone's in very proper suits, and I got to hear Johnny Mac preach. It was amazing, right? But that's not what these guys are doing. They're, they're not coming for excitement. They're not coming to learn. They're not, they're not coming to say, wow we've, wow, we've been hearing about your teaching. Would you teach us? No, what are they, what are they coming to do? They're, they're more coming to spy on Jesus, right? They're sent from the headquarters of Jerusalem, the very place where everything is gonna come to a crescendo and Jesus will eventually be crucified. They're sent from headquarters to spy on this guy, Jesus. And as they're keeping a close eye on him, Something happens. One of his disciples <gasps> does the unthinkable. He didn't wash his hands before 
eating lunch. Uh-oh. Did you boys see that? You see what I just saw? One of his followers ate bread, but didn't bother washing his hands. I wonder, I wonder if his master approves of this ungodly behavior. Now, we're sort of used to the Pharisees and the scribes acting this way, but let's step back for a second, okay? In this passage, you have destitute, broken, starving people that Jesus is giving himself to day and night. Out of deep compassion, he's healing, feeding, and caring for them. But what are these religious gurus mainly concerned about? Well, have a look. Look with me again in Matthew 15. Look what they say. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now the question they put to Jesus here isn't really a question, is it? It's more like, aha, gotcha, Jesus. We got you. One of your followers has been caught red-handed, so to speak. They break the tradition of the elders, or better yet, transgress. What is a transgression in biblical terms? It's stepping over a boundary. It's crossing a border. And the boundary that is stepped across is the law of God. A transgression is considered a sin. But, but look carefully at verse 2. What exactly is transgressed here? Can you see it? The, the tradition of the elders, right? This was a collection of, of oral teachings from the rabbis. And, and years later, they actually collect these instructions and put them into a book called the Mishnah. So what's the problem here, though? What is the basis of their authority? Is it the Bible? Well, to be fair, if you read in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, there are stacks of regulations about purity and about keeping yourself clean <coughs> and dietary laws. So they're close, but the, you see what they've done? They've actually, and by the way, those, those rules found in Le Leviticus and Exodus, those are mainly for the priests and the sacrifices. And so what they've done now is taken that and sort of universalized that to everybody. And what they've done is actually taken the law of God and added to it. They've placed truth on the side and elevated tradition to that same level. And that's why Jesus responds, look, look carefully. Jesus doesn't throw away words here. Look carefully what he says in verse three. He answered them, notice, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. You see how Jesus sets the record straight there? Uh, don't you love how he turns the tables? <laughs> it's, I, I love when someone asks Jesus an interrogating question and then he just turns it into an indictment on them, just sort of flips it back on their head. And, and do you see how he cuts to the main issue? Look, you blokes break God's law in order to uphold your own law. You've got it all backwards, boys. Now, we have a tendency as sinful human beings to do that. We might have a particular 
preference for the way something is done in church. And over time, that preference becomes the biblical standard. For instance, when we take communion, should we use wine or juice? Should we use, it, it does talk about in communion, if you read in scripture, you break from the one loaf. So should we use one loaf of bread and break it out? Or should we use those little airplane little crackers that we use in juice? Um, should we sing hymns? Or modern songs? What's modern too, by the way? Who defines that? Should we have a cross up here? Or not? We don't have a cross out in the front. What should we do? Should we have drums? Or should we not have drums? Should we have, a little closer to home here, should we have a Christmas Eve service? Or a Christmas Day service? Because in the scriptures you see it's commanded that you, thou must have a Christmas Day service. <laughs> have, you, have you read that? Or in the book of Acts, do you see all the places where they celebrate Easter and Christmas? Has anyone read that? No. So what are you guys doing? There's actually, those have its roots in paganism, by the way. So it's Christmas Eve, so, so should we do Christmas Eve? Should we do Easter? So you see, should we have a cafe out here? We used to. Or should we do self-serve? Should we have morning tea at all? All these things are fine to have opinions on, by the way. All of them. But listen, the problem comes when our preferred method or tradition, as it were, becomes the way, the truth, and the life. And to break that tradition becomes bigger than Ben-Hur. When those things don't line up the way that our tradition, our preferences, we get our knickers in a knot. And listen, be careful, because if you find yourself getting your knickers in a knot over things like that, there's a little Pharisee in you just waiting to grow up. You know? There's a little Pharisee in you just waiting to grow up. Look, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with hand washing. In fact, wash your hands before you have lunch today. It's not legalism. But over time, this tradition, this way of seeing things became the standard. And that's why Jesus has to make a, a distinction between God's commandments and the Jewish traditions. And he turns directly to the Old Testament in order to demonstrate this. Notice what he does in verse 4. He's quoting from the fifth commandment. But he, he's making a point of contrast. Look in verse 4. With, actually, yeah, look at verse 4. He says, notice what he does. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles, that is, you know, to, to speak evil of, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you have gained from me is given to God. You see his point of contrast there from verse 4 to verse 5? God says this, but you say that. I'm not sure if you know what's going on here. We can read it again. Look at, come with me again to verse five. He says, but if anyone tells his father or mother, what you have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. So 
Let me give you a little context. The obligation to care for your parents, especially in their old age, was the way in which, one of the ways in which you honored them. Yet these oral traditions from the rabbis provided a loophole not to do that. Let's say your elderly parents could no longer work and they see one day something of yours, be it a piece of your furniture, money, something that might help them in their time of need. Well, they might ask you for it. But if you pronounce whatever they're after as Corbin, a gift devoted to God, then it could be legally withheld from them even though they're in desperate need of it. This is tragic. People could get away from the obligation to take care of their elderly parents simply by pledging something as an offering to God. That way, after their folks died, their money could go to the temple. But in the meantime, while their parents were still alive, they didn't have to spend a single dollar to help mom or dad out. These folks may be well-versed in this teaching called Corbin, but how's their heart? Wicked. Might appear committed on the outside. How's things happening on in the inside? Not so good. What good are clean hands if your heart is corrupt and your family is a mess? You know, I was thinking about it this week. M m there's a handful of you in this church, and I'm very grateful, that are very passionate for truth, and that's awesome. But... Have you become known more for what you're against than what you actually believe? Have you become known more for what you're against than what you actually believe? In other words, the gospel is good news. Even the Greek form of it, aon galion, means good news. That's just literally what it means. So if it is good news, that good news should be the main thing that you're on about in life. Now, there is a time and a place that we correct false teaching, and we need to do those things. But if the warp and woof of our life is more about the things that we're against, we've lost the plot. We might look really, really committed and really switched on. But if we've lost the main thing, which is the gospel itself, friend, your heart's not there. And it's a very dangerous place to be. Because what you've done is you've placed, in essence, a tradition over truth by practice. And it's spiritually dangerous, it's hazardous. And you know, Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. Look at what he says. I mean, look what he says, this kind of behavior. Someone that, that is, seems so committed on the outside, but inwardly is, is not. Look, look what, I mean, look for yourself what he says. The nice, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, says this. He says, verse seven, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honor, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. 
You see what Jesus is saying there? Like the Jews in the 8th century of Isaiah's day, these people that he's there with face-to-face, they prefer lip service over real heart worship. Their hearts, though they claim to love the Lord, are in fact far, far from him. Their worship is empty, it's vain, it's it's man-made religion. And so over against that, Jesus now says, I'm going to tell you what true religion looks like in verses 10 and 11. And this is where Jesus drops a bomb. Really. He throws down the gauntlet with the religious leaders at this point. Really, there's no, there's no turning back. Because then he says this in verse 10. He called the people, so the whole crowd's there, and he said to them, hear and understand. So don't miss this, right? It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. We may not feel the rate of this, but this was a radical statement. In essence, Jesus was wiping away any distinction between clean or unclean foods. Hearing this would have been shocking when you think how specific the Jewish diet was, especially if you've been following along in our Bible reading plan in Leviticus, right? And it is very meticulous. But Jesus says, at the end of the day, what proceeds from our heart is far more important than what we eat. Motives and attitudes are way more significant than the food and drink. That would have majorly offended the scribes, the religious establishment, the Pharisees. And that's why the disciples come to him in verse 12, and they, I mean, that's what they say, right? They say, um, uh, hey, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Jesus knew this would be the case. By now, relations between him and the religious establishment have reached a breaking point. So Jesus, rather than say, oh, geez, did I, did I offend them? Oh, my goodness, how, how, do I re- how do I repair that? No, no, no. He actually just says, all right, gloves off. They've already called me Beelzebub, the you know, prince of demons. Gloves off. I'm going for the jugular, you know, full guillotine. You know, they're done. Um, arm bar, whatever, right? Ignore those words. So verse, those of you like MMA, you know what I'm talking about. Um, if you don't, that's okay, I think. All right, so um, look at what he says. Two pointed, look at these pointed parables. He says in verse 13, he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Now, interesting words there because he's not just talking to anybody, right? He's not just dismissing anyone. He's saying these plants, so to speak, this religious establishment is like a weed. It's false. It doesn't belong in the garden, and it's going to be ripped up. And what, what language there? And then the famous image that he gives here that people still use, it's the blind leading the blind. You see that there? He says, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Uh, Peter Bruegel, the elder, has a famous painting of this, actually, of the blind leading the blind. I wonder, um, Jacob, were you able to pull that up, bud? Yay? Okay, cool. Oh, here it is. Um, let, let me just ask you this real quick. What, what's, what do you observe from this? Just you can, you can throw it out. What are some things, that, what are some observations here? That Peter Bruegel, the elder. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, even the, way the, even, the, even the way the painting almost has you looking up this hill, doesn't it? You can tell that they're, you know, yeah. So they're all, they're all, they're stumbling. Um, yeah, interesting. Interesting, yeah. The, uh, Peter actually painted this about a year before he died, and there was a huge tiff between the Catholic Church and Protestantism just right before it, all this happened. So you sort of wonder if that was looming in his mind as well. Yeah. Sorry, two voices. Well, that's, and why do you suppose that is? They're blind, that's right. Even the way, even the way that they um, notice, I mean, this poor guy, he's honest, you know, he's sort of stumbled now, but even, it's very meticulous the way, some are looking that way and upward, but yeah, yeah, it's, and here's the point. When we place tradition over truth, we lead people down to the pit like that. I hope you feel the weight of that. When we take our preferences and we make them the absolute dogmatic gospel themselves, this is what we're doing, not only to ourselves, but to others. See how hazardous that is? Massive. Absolutely massive. You can take that down, Jacob. Otherwise, everyone will stare at it the whole time. Now, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Now, it's interesting here. Peter, who represents the, he's like the group representative, right? He comes to Jesus and he says this, explain the parable to us. You know, it's, it's fascinating that while he's on the inside, he's still not fully enlightened yet. Did you, did you get a snapshot of that? You know, he has to say, ask for clarity. Would you explain this parable? And then he responds, Jesus responds to all of them, right? Um, and he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, and here we go, he's repeating it again, pass into the stomach and is expelled. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. Now, this is what's interesting, okay? Remember he quoted the fifth commandment? Do you guys remember that? We're talking about honoring your parents. The list that he gives here basically goes the sixth commandment, the seventh commandment, the eighth commandment, the ninth commandment. Fascinating. Guy knows his Bible, right? <laughs> he says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Notice, these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. We understand our greatest need is not cleaner hands. Dirty hands are not the real danger. Our greatest need is dirty hearts to be cleansed and transformed. That is why Jesus said, that's what comes out of the mouth, defiles a person, for it comes from the heart. A person's greatest need is not to try to clean up their life on the outside. Their greatest need is to be cleaned on the inside, to have a heart transplant spiritually. That's what Ezekiel 36 talks about. Removing from you a heart of stone, giving you a heart of flesh. You know, when I was not feeling well and a few weeks ago, I was fine, but I'm, I'm a wimp when I'm sick. Oh, April, help. You know, 
But I don't know if you've ever felt this way. Um, if you feel, and I don't say this in an insensitive way for those of you that struggled with significant um, things in your life, but uh, it, any of us that have had like a, you know, a decent little flu bug, right? You feel sick, and, y- and y- when, you d- when it doesn't go away, you, and y- you know, you sleep, you know, you do whatever, right? And, you, and it just doesn't go away, and, and, sort of, and in that moment, you're like, I'd just give anything to get rid of this. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And, and, and you're like, I don't even care if I have to die. You know, like you just, you're just a bit dramatic. Maybe I'm just the only dramatic one, but you're thinking, I don't, I don't care. And, and again, I don't say that in an insensitive way because I have walked through people in this church that have suffered from massive um, things and, and have gone to be with the Lord, okay? But I say all that because in that moment, I was, I was thinking about it. I was laying on my bed and I was thinking, you know, without a new heart, I can't approach God. And if I think this is uncomfortable, because, you know, I, I can be really uncomfortable, and even if, you've, even if you've got, you know, whatever sickness it is, you think, well, maybe tomorrow I'll feel better, right? Or definitely in a week, I'll probably, you know, I'll kind of come up. I'll come, I'll come up for air. Even if this thing ends in death, it's going to go away, right? But listen, hell is not like that. God's judgment is not like that. When you're in hell, you're in agony, and you think, oh, maybe I'll feel better tomorrow. And imagine the psychology of someone in hell right now. Maybe I'll feel better in a week. And then it dawns on you. This is not going to be a week. It's not going to be a hard month. It's not going to be a hard year. It's not going to be a hard hundred years. No one in this room has even lived a hundred years. It's not going to be a hard 200 years, 500 years, 5,000 years. You are there for eternity. Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth and no way out. Imagine what that does to people psychologically that are in hell. Imagine, I mean, we can't even get, get our hands around something like that. And Jesus says, that, friend, is where you are headed for eternity unless you have a new heart. Unless you have come to Christ and pleaded for his forgiveness because you've sinned against him. And the Lord Jesus will wipe away your sin. But listen, if you do not turn to Christ and trust him by faith alone in Christ alone, that is where you are headed. Where there's no cup of water, there's no break. It's just you and fire for eternity. So I plead with you, friend. Turn to Jesus. You need to be cleansed on the inside. And only the Lord Jesus can do that for you. Only he can wipe away your sin. And for those, those of us that have come to Christ, I pray that our view is, our lens of which we see the world is gospel-shaped. 
It's okay to be passionate about certain things and have opinions about secondary issues. But the main thing has to be the main thing, and that's the gospel. Otherwise, we've lost the plot. I mean, what, what does this world need right now? The gospel. I, I don't care what condition someone's in. The main thing they need, what lasts for eternity, is to be forgiven of their sin. There might be tangible things we can do to help them. I'm not denying any of those things. They don't have to sacrifice, and there's a whole host of other things that could happen. But the main thing this person needs is to be reconciled to God. What are we bringing to the world? Our preferences, our formality, our religion? Or are we bringing them the gospel? Gospel has to be the main thing. We have to have that lens. And help us, too. I mean, I, that, I look at that Peter Bruegel, the elder painting, and that scares me. I don't want to be the blind, leading the blind. Do you? I don't want to lead people into a pit. I want to be leading them to the cross, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So may the Lord do that in our hearts this week. And for those of you that are sitting here, I again, you've been warned, <laughs> honestly. You do not have to meet God's wrath and live there for eternity. You can turn to Jesus today, and I plead with you to do so, to be, have your sins wiped out. Let's pray. Lord, we um, come before you with a heavy passage, Lord, a heavy truth. And we pray that our minds wouldn't just drift to distracting things now, but as we take communion, as we sing, Lord, may our hearts be filled with true religion, religious affections for you. We pray, Lord, that you would cultivate that in our minds and in our hearts this week as we interact, as we work, as we go about our, uh, leading our families. Lord, would you remind us of the true heart of worship, and that's what you're after. That's what you care about. In Christ's name.